All right, we are in the second week of a series called Men and Women in a Ken and Barbie World. And if you missed Ryan Leake's message last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch it. It was fantastic. It's about the topic of what is beauty. But a few years ago, I gave a message here at church, and afterwards, I got an email from an attender, and she was upset. And she was really offended by a quote that I had shared in my message, which was confusing to me because it wasn't a controversial topic. I don't even remember what I had spoken on, but it wasn't controversial, and I couldn't remember the quote. I was like, what, what quote is she referring to? And so I went back to my manuscript, and I'm going to read to you the quote that she was offended by. It was this, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. Now, that wasn't a quote from a modern-day author or a TED Talk or anything like that. That was the Bible. That was Jesus. That was a verse in the Bible, Matthew 19, verse 4. And the part that she was offended by was the part that said the Creator made them male and female. And I was reading this email, and I thought, if you had asked me to predict 10 years before of what Bible verse is going to become controversial in the future, I would not have chosen this one. It's because 10 years prior, it was mostly self-evident to many people that God had created some as men and some as women, but the culture has begun to shift. And these days, people will say, well, your gender is different than your biological sex, They'll say gender is a social construct. You get to pick your gender. You get to kind of decide your gender. And it's not related to your biological sex. I've done a whole message series on this. So if you want to dig a little bit deeper, it's about a year and a half ago called Beyond Birds and the Bees. You can dig into that if you want to. But here's kind of what I responded to this woman. And I responded as lovingly and kindly as I could. But I said, that was Jesus like, that wasn't my quote. I didn't come up with that sitting at my computer at my desk. That was a Bible verse. That was Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about men and about women. But when he says that God created some as male and some as female, what does that mean? What is a male? What is a female? What is a man? What is a woman? That's the topic of today's message. Men and women share this in common. Both, I think today, feel under attack. That if you listen to a lot of men and a lot of women, they'll say, the way I'm being portrayed as a man or a woman in social media or in the news, I feel devalued, demoralized, and demeaned. Let me just give you a few examples of this. The Washington Post ran an article with the headline, Why Can't We Hate Men? And the conclusion was, well, we sort of can you can buy a t-shirt right now that says so many men, so little ammunition. Best-selling books have come out in the last few years with titles like Are Men Really Necessary? and The End of Men. USA Today ran an opinion piece where they said that on today's university campuses, the topic of masculinity is rarely discussed. And if it is discussed, it's always attached to the word toxic. So we have a whole generation of young men who don't really understand what a positive version of masculinity looks like. All they really know is that masculinity is toxic. Jim McNamara, a media researcher, studied over 2,000 TV shows and movies to see how men were being portrayed. And what he found through that study 
was that about 75% of the time, men were portrayed in a negative light. That the dad or the man on the show, kind of walking around, foolish, you know, looks like kind of an idiot at times. That's how men were being portrayed. Now, if you're a woman and you're listening to this, you might be thinking, boo-hoo. Like, women have been negatively portrayed for years. And that's true. For example, Barbie dolls became synonymous with this idea that a woman's value is found in her looks. Blonde and skinny is the goal. Never mind the fact that the Bible says that God doesn't look at externals, he looks at the heart. Hugh Hefner didn't pick his girls based on their gentleness and their godliness. And a whole generation began to follow suit. These days, if you listen to certain genres of music, particularly certain genres, women are demeaned. If you you were an alien from outer space and you came down and listened to some of these songs, what you would conclude is women are there to fulfill men's desires. Women exist to fulfill men's pleasures. They're kind of an object that men look at, talk about, and use for their own gratification. Women are used to sell products. You're watching TV and all of a sudden you go, wait, what was that? And the whole point of it, the whole goal is that you would get your attention going and you would listen and know what their product is. For years, women were shamed if they worked outside of the home. Then there was a little bit of a shift and then if you stayed home and didn't work, you felt a little bit of shame. So it didn't matter which one you did. You were going to feel a sense of shame and guilt no matter what. And almost every single woman that I have ever talked to at some point in their life has been sexually harassed. At some point in their life has experienced some form of sexual harassment, sexual abuse, or was put in some kind of uncomfortable position. The new Barbie movie attempts to show men how women feel when they see degrading stereotypes paraded across the screen, which is fair. But in the movie at times, it felt like Barbie was breaking out of some of those stereotypes, but Ken was being shoved in them. That that Barbie was being lifted up, but Ken was like, oh my goodness, what's this guy's deal? He's just, he's kind of foolish. And it strikes me that Jesus never did that. Jesus lifted up both men and women. Shockingly so in the case of women. Because the first century in which Jesus lived and taught a woman was not even allowed to give her testimony in a court of law. That that, that wasn't even allowed. And then Jesus came along, and you have the mother of Jesus, Mary, and she's lifted up as this servant of God who is completely submitted to his will. And then you have this woman, Mary, who follows Jesus, and she sits at Jesus' feet, and she listens to his teaching, which was something only afforded to men with other rabbis in that culture. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Jesus lifted up women in a way that no other man before him had ever done. But he didn't belittle men to do it. Yes, he challenged men and how men were treating women, but he never lifted up women by pushing down men. And he never lifted up men by pushing down women. He lifted up both. And that's one of the purposes of this series. To lift up men without 
belittling women, to lift up women without belittling men, because that's what Jesus did. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, if you were someone who was curious and you were just kind of opening up your Bible and reading for the first time, you would find in the first book of the Bible in Genesis that this is something that God speaks to right off the bat. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, God created man in his own image. <clears throat> in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's two things I want you to see from this verse. The first one is, we were created by God. We are not the result of a spark of energy that kind of ignited, and all of a sudden we evolved to be these human beings who are men and who are women. Right off the bat, he says, we were created by God. And second, not only were we created by God, but we were created in the image of God. Both men and women bear the image of God himself. Genesis chapter 5, so four chapters later, this is reaffirmed. It says God created them male and female. He blessed them. Now, this isn't just an Old Testament teaching. Jesus picks this kind of thing up in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus said. And this is the verse I read to you earlier. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus said that God created them as male and female. But here's the question. What does that mean? When we say a man, when we say a woman, what is that? What is a man? What is a woman. It's actually become kind of a controversial question in our culture today, but if you talk to people who are biologists or scientists who have researched this thing, they'll say it's actually not really a controversial question. From a scientific perspective, there's three variables or three characteristics that they look for. It's external anatomy, it's reproduction, and it's the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. That when you start to distinguish in all the vast majority of cases, the high percentage of cases, what differentiates a man from a woman or a woman from a man, it's reproduction, external anatomy, and the presence or absence of a Y chromosome. Jesus said God created them male and female. And not only did he create them male and female, but here's what's so important. He created men and women to complement each other. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 2. So now we're one chapter in to the first book of the Bible. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper. This was Eve suited to him. Now you might read that or you're even maybe hearing that and you're like, I don't like that. Especially if you're a woman, right? You're like, eh, what's this helper thing? Ain't no helper. Because over the years, the way that verse has kind of been taught is you think of it's like this patriarchal structure where the man's up here and the woman's down there and he's kind of in charge and she's just a little helper. But when you start to study the Old Testament and the language it was written in, you realize that's not what it's teaching. You see, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. And the word that's used here for helper is used at various points throughout the Old Testament. And when it's used at various other points in the Old Testament, it's used to refer to God. 
In the Psalms, it says, I look to the hills. Where does my help, where does my helper come from? And the same word that's used for helper, helper there is what's used in Genesis chapter two. But in the Psalms, it's used to refer to God. At one point, the psalmist says that God is his ever-present help. And the same word is used there that is used in Genesis chapter 2. Of course, God isn't down here and we're not up there. So that's not what the verse can be and the word can be meaning. Maybe a better translation of the word is ally. That men and women are to be aligned allies to one another, that women are not there to serve men, they're there to serve with men. But my point is that men and women have equal value and worth. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, For as man, woman came from man, so also man is born of a woman, but everything comes from God. Jordan Peterson, who I believe at the time was a non-Christian psychologist, read through the book of Genesis for the first time, and he said, I was shocked. He was shocked because as he read through, he said, both men and women carry with them what he called the divine stamp, that both men and women were created in the image of God. It wasn't just men. It wasn't just women. Both of them had the divine stamp. And Peterson noted that compared to other cultures at that time, that was extremely counter-cultural. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the message that men and women need one another to fulfill their mission. That men are lifted up, but not at the expense of women. That women are lifted up, but not at the expense of men. So I want to show you two truths that are related to God's design of us as men and women. And here's the first one. God created men and women different. Kind of a cultural trend right now is for parents to have a gender reveal party. Have you you seen these? So they'll, instead of just finding out if they're having a boy or girl, they'll have someone fill something with pink or blue. They'll break it open and that will tell them if they're having a boy or a girl. But here's my question. What happens when a gender reveal goes wrong. Take a look. You think you're gonna have a sister? What happens if it's a brother? I cry forever. one to end on. (laughs) But the reason that couples do a gender reveal party is because there's something that they recognize. There's a distinction between boys and girls. 
There's a distinction between men and women, and it's not just pink and blue. It's not just dolls versus digger trucks, that there's some healthy differentiation that God has designed within us. A few years ago, my wife took me to a tea room, and I was in over my head. Uh, Right when the waitress came up, she said, can I interest you in some scones? Why is it when people use the word scones, they act like they have some secret that you don't know about? Like, a scone? Here's the secret. It's a dry piece of bread. You can dip it in your tea so you don't choke to death. Or you can throw it across the room and knock someone unconscious. You sort of get to choose which one you want to do. But, but she brought out these, this scone. She brought out a quiche that was like that big. I looked at my wife. I said, we're stopping at Popeye's on the way home, okay? I, this is not enough food. But right before I was about to give up on the tea room, this birthday party of five-year-old girls came in. And they were so cute. They had on their dresses, and they got to put on these fancy hats with the big, wide rims. And they were just, you know, having tea and laughing with one another. And I watched them, and I thought to myself, what would have happened if I had brought my sons here when they were five years old? (laughs) And I can tell you what would have happened. Those hats with the big brim, they would have become flying circular nunchucks. And I know this is true because when my oldest daughter was about one years old, she would go get shoes and she would bring a pair of shoes over to me and she would back up into my lap and she would sit down and want me to put on her shoes. And I'd put the shoes on and then she'd take the shoes off. She'd go get a different pair of shoes and she'd walk back and she'd back up to me and want me to put on those shoes. The only time I ever saw my sons play with shoes was after we watched the movie Swiss Family Robinson. And they used shoes as coconut bombs to throw at the pirates. (laughs) Boys and girls, men and women are different. My wife was recently listening to a Marco Polo. Marco Polo is the app. It's like a video app where you just record a message to someone. And her friend sent her a Marco Polo. I'm not exaggerating. It was over 45 minutes long. Forty-five minutes of her friend sitting in the car talking to her phone and then sending this message to my wife. And that was not the crazy part. The crazy part is my wife listened to the whole thing. I'm in the other room. I'm like, I can't. What are you doing? And she's just like intently listening to this 45-minute message. You got to be kidding. My friend Mike was on a phone conversation with another guy for about 40 minutes He got off, he turned to his wife, and he said, I feel like I just gave birth. (laughs) Men and women are different. Now, most of the differences between men and women are pretty obvious. Women can have babies, men cannot. I realize it's become a little bit of a controversial statement these days, but I'm pretty sure, pretty sure that men cannot have babies. Men cannot nurse naturally, women can. Women have more oxytocin, they have more estrogen, men tend to have more testosterone, which leads to a higher muscle mass, generally greater sex desire, those kinds of things. In light of these obvious differences between men and women, it, it probably doesn't surprise us then that the Bible addresses wives and husbands differently. What I mean is, the Bible doesn't often say, wives, husbands, here's what you should both do. Often what it says is, wives, here's what you should do. And then husbands, here's what you should do. And what that tells them is different. Husbands have two biblical mandates. Love your wife, 
honor your wife? Are you doing those two things? Are you loving your wife and are you honoring your wife? The Bible says if you're not honoring your wife that God may choose not to listen to your prayers. That's how big of a deal this is to God. Wives are, are given the, the, the challenge or the command to respect your husband. Which is interesting because years ago a book was written called Love and Respect where they did this massive study and they tried to find what are women looking for versus kind of what are men looking for. And what they found is, in general, women tend to crave love and men tend to desire respect. Now, it doesn't mean that men don't want to be loved and women don't want respect. It is not saying that at all. It's saying that they tend to tip that way, which is interesting because when the book of Ephesians addresses wives and husbands, it says, wives, respect your husband, and it says, husbands, love your wife. Are you doing that? Are you respecting your husband? Are you loving and honoring your wife? Here's the second truth about God's design for us as men and women, and it's this. God created men and women equal. See, some people think that if there's differences, well, then there must be an inequality. There must be one up here and one down there, but that's not what the Bible is teaching. Even though there's some differences between men and women, men and women both bear the image of God. They have equal value and worth to God. In fact, in the first century in which Jesus taught in the Greco-Roman world in which he lived, his teaching on marriage was extremely countercultural. See, in the Greco-Roman world, it was common for men to sleep with prostitutes, concubines, mistresses, and slaves. That was common. Homosexuality, promiscuity, they were common. Most marriages were arranged so the reason why you would get married is your family, for financial reasons or political reasons, would go, yeah, I think it'd be good for us to marry into that family. Let's arrange our son or our daughter to be married to them. Many of the women who were in arranged marriages were around the age of 12, 14, 16. Many of the men were much older. They were in their mid-20s, late-20s, even early-30s. So you can imagine the inequality that that would create in a marriage. The, the man's looking at it going, well, she's my wife. I mean, she's there to procreate and bear me children. She was there for me to have some political connections to their family. But love and intimacy and seeing her as a valued equal, that's just not a part of the equation. And so for that reason, divorce was also common for men. Men could divorce their wife. Women could not divorce their husband. If a man didn't like something or he thought, well, I could get better political connections in a different marriage, well, that's easy. He just had to fill it out. Boom, you're divorced. A woman never had that option. It was into that world that Jesus came along. And he said, if anyone divorces his wife, so he's speaking directly to the men, and marries another woman, he commits adultery against her. Jesus had higher expectations for men in that culture than they even had for themselves. And so what he was saying was, hey, it might be common for you to sleep around. It might be pretty common for you to get a divorce for whatever reason. But here's what I'm telling you about marriage. I want you to be faithful. I want you to be committed. 
And this was one of the reasons that sociologist Rodney Stark believes that Christianity grew at the rate that it did. Because Christian women in Christian marriages were afforded a level of protection and equality that their pagan neighbors did not have. And many women begin to flock to the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this to husbands. It says, husbands, love your wife. And we hear that today and we're like, well, yeah, that's, that seems like kind of baseline. It feels like a pretty low bar to step over. Like, we, well, yeah, of course, I'm going to love my wife. But again, in the first century, love and intimacy weren't a part of the equation. In many marriages, maybe even in most marriages, it was, well, you're here to bear children and manage the family, and, but, but love, that's, just, that's not what I'm thinking. And then the verse goes on to say this. It says, the husband is the head of the wife, <clears throat> as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Now, he starts by talking about headship, that the man is the head of the family, and that over the years has been taken to mean dictatorship. Oh, if you're the head, well, then you're the dictator, and you just sort of get to decide, and the other person's just there to kind of serve your needs. But that's not what the verse means in context. Because when you read the next verses, what does it mean to be the head of your family? means that you're willing to lay down your life. means that you're willing to sacrifice what you want for what they need. I like how author Tim Challies says this. He says, a husband's leadership is being the first to love, the first to serve, the first to repent, and the first to forgive. Liz Higgs was a radio personality who was on the same radio station as Howard Stern. Howard Cern is the shock jock who's said some offensive things, done some offensive things. And, and just to give you an idea of what Liz Higgs was like, Howard Stern came to her at one point and said, Liz, you need to clean up your act. This was coming from Howard Stern. Liz Higgs moved from Los Angeles out to Nashville, and she became a part of a radio station there, and she said, my life began to spiral. She got heavily involved in drugs like cocaine and speed and marijuana and deep into alcohol. Started sleeping around with men, trying to find love and validation and self-worth. She said that continued until one day a Christian couple moved to Nashville and took a job at the morning program at her radio station. And she said, their love for me was so compelling, I was powerless to resist it. Four months later, she went to church with this Christian couple. She had not been to church in years. And she walked into this church, and the scripture reading that morning was, wives, submit to your husband. Doesn't that always happen? You finally get someone to come to church, and it's like they talk about giving money to the church. And you're like, they haven't talked about this in like nine months, I promise you. But it's just like that one weekend, and you're trying to explain yourself. But God knew what he was doing. Because the next verse was about how husbands need to lay down their life for their wives. And Liz Higgs turned to her friends and she said, sort of with her tongue in her cheek, kiddingly, she said, if I ever found a guy who was willing to die for me, I'd marry him on the spot. And her friends looked at her and said, Liz, 
there is a man who died for you. His name is Jesus. She said, in that moment, I felt something just pierce through my heart. And she said, I realized that everything I had been looking for, the love, the self-worth, the validation for who I am, that that was found in Jesus. Liz went on to become a Christian author. She's written several best-selling books. Her most famous is called Bad Girls of the Bible. I wonder if any of us here today are feeling the tug that Liz Higgs felt. That there is a man who died for you, both for men and for women. That he died to forgive you. He died to cleanse you. And he died so that you can fulfill the calling that God has on your life as a man and as a woman. Here's what a man of God does. A man of God takes responsibility. He's not making excuses or blaming or pointing the finger. He takes responsibility. He's willing to lay down his life. He's willing to give up what he wants for what his family needs. That's a man. A man of God is honest. He's not living in deceit. He's not hiding things and manipulating things. He's filled with honesty and integrity. A man of God obeys God. He seeks God. He wants to be a spiritual leader in his family. That is a man of God. A woman of God does not need to look to a man to validate her beauty. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 that beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman of God fears the Lord. She doesn't have to fear other people and their opinions and whether they like her or don't like her. She's living her life to please God. And her security and her confidence is not just found in herself. Her security and confidence is found in Jesus Christ. She seeks God. She prays for her family. She accomplishes many things, but she's also serving and lifting up others. That is a woman of God. And we live in a culture right now that if you're a man, the message that you're going to hear from our world is this. Oh, you want to be a man? Well, sleep around with as many women as you can, because that, that's going to show whether you're a man or not. Go down to the Phoenix Open Golf Tournament. If you saw videos of this, go down to the Phoenix Open Golf Tournament. If you're a guy, rip off your shirt, slide down the muddy hill, get up, shotgun a few beers, stumble your way back up the hill. That's a man. Oh, you want to be a man? Well, be really successful, make lots of money, have a certain appearance, sleep with as many people as you can, hook up as many people as you can. That's what it means to be a man in our world today. That's not a man. That's a character of a man. That's a cartoon of a man. A man is faithful to his wife. He spiritually leads his family. He obeys God. He walks with God. When he sins and doesn't do those things, he repents, he confesses, he takes responsibility. That, that's a man. The world today, if you're a woman, says, well, hey, you know, if you want to feel good about yourself, you should get attention from men. You should even get attention from everybody. Please people. Make sure you're pleasing people. Make sure your Instagram looks a certain way. Make sure you look a certain way. Make sure your kids look a certain way. Make sure your living room looks a certain way. Just keep on the hamster wheel, trying to please everybody else around you and worrying about their opinions. That's not a woman. A woman is living her life to please God. She's fearing the Lord. 
She's walking with God. She's confident and secure that she has been made in the very image of God and the love that she experiences. She doesn't need to look to someone else to experience that kind of love. She receives it from Jesus Christ. That's a woman of God. And many of us today are going to have to decide which one am I going to pursue? Do I want to be a woman of the world or do I want to be a woman of God? But pick. And don't keep waffling back and forth, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Draw a line in the sand and decide. Do you want to be a man of the world or do you want to be a man of, the God, of God? Stop waffling back and forth. Well, I'll do a little bit of this and then I'll do a little bit. No, just, just draw a line in the sand. Declare who you are. We have so many people in this church who are men of God and women of God. And I just want to say, keep going. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't give in to the cultural pressure that the world puts upon you as a man or a woman. You keep walking in the ways of God. And he will honor that in your life. Let's pray together as we close. God, I thank you for men and for women. We need one another. And God, I pray that we can start to encourage one another and build each other up versus tear one another down. That we would celebrate the differences that complement one another. That we would celebrate the calling that you have on men's lives and the calling you have on women's lives. And that we would serve together. And God, there are some of us here who have been waffling back and forth between a man of the world and a man of God between a woman of the world and a woman of God. And Lord, I pray that today is a day to declare and draw a line in the sand, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to fear you alone. I'm going to walk with you in my life. I'm going to seek you and pursue you above all other things. God, I'm going to be willing to lay down what I want for what the people closest to me need. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to respect them. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, the conviction, the perseverance to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, next weekend is raising boys and girls. Don't want to miss that. We'll see you then. Thank you.